back to Judges today. We finished up our message uh, in Ezekiel chapter 3 last week. And I hope that the warnings that were given resonated in your hearts and minds because change is coming to this nation. Change is coming that's going to affect God's true church. Now there are many in the church today that won't really be affected by this change because they're going along with it. But the true church, those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who are uh, in relationship with him, the church, the true church is going to be affected by what's coming in this nation, and we need to be prepared. So I encourage you to go to the videos. They're, um, they're all archived there. I think you can find them on YouTube, different places. Get with Norman. He can tell you exactly where to retrieve those videos. But share them for all who have ears to hear. And let's get those warnings out beyond the walls. Because, again, I just, it's inevitable that things are going to happen around us that we need to be prepared for. Now, this week, we're going to pick back up in Judges chapter 15. And we're going to continue our study in Samson. And recapping briefly, we saw Samson's character flaws being short-tempered and easily agitated. I guess those are two ways you can describe him. Maybe more on top of that. He wanted a Philistine wife because it pleased his flesh. He told his father, go and get her for me because she pleases me. And we never really saw if he pleased her. <laughs> that never was discussed in Scripture. But he took her as his wife and things didn't go well. But we also know that God told uh, his parents, that, or, or I don't know that he actually told them, but he did say, this is from the Lord. God himself allowed this to happen for a very specific purpose, and that is to raise up the nation against the Philistines. And so he posed a riddle to the Philistine men that only he knew the answer to. That really wasn't a, a true riddle. A true riddle is when you actually have something people might can figure out, but because it was something that he did and killed the, dog, uh, killed the, the lion and and all of those things, and, uh, and then the honey that, that came in the, in the carcass of the lion, all of those things, these men couldn't have figured out, and he knew it. And that was his pride. That was Samson's pride, just throwing this out there, knowing that he had them. But when his wife was threatened, she pleaded with him. Pleaded with him for a full week. And during that week, as she pled, he caved, <laughs> and he told her, and he told her the riddle, told her the answer. She then went and told the Philistines. And in his anger, he went out and killed 30 of the Philistine men and took their garments in payment for that riddle. Now, then we then notice that he leaves his wife in anger and goes back to his father's house. Well, that's where we pick up this week. So let's go to the Lord and then we'll begin this morning. Father, thank you. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your movement. And, um, and among us, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are constantly giving us what we need. We ask in the name of Jesus that you feed us this morning with your word. We thank you and we praise you for all that you are and all that you're doing within us. And pray, Lord, that in all things you would be glorified. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Judges 15, beginning with verse 1. After a while... In the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. Now, 
Evidently, he's trying to appease. He's trying to go back now. But it's almost as though nothing really happened. He got mad. He left. He's now at his father's house. Now he goes back with this young goat. And he said, let me go into my wife, into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall uh, be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Then Samson went out and caught 300 foxes, and he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a a torch between each pair of tails. I'd like to have seen that. That would have been a... I don't know how it happened. How he did, I mean, God was in it. God directed all of this. We know that. So he must have just told the foxes, just stand there and let them tie this torch between your tails. And then sent them off and, uh, between there. And then he went and uh, set the torches on fire. He let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines, burned up both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and olive groves. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Temanite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Now the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. So once again, we see this flaw, if you will, in Samson's character. And after his anger subsided, he felt a little bit better. He, he goes back to his wife as though everything's just okay. He acted out. He called, basically called her a heifer. <laughs> said, because you plow with my heifers, what he told those Philistines, In his anger, he wasn't just mad at them, he was mad at her. And his father, or her father, recognized that anger and thought he was gone. Gave his wife to his companion. And Samson didn't have any thought that the way he left things would have any consequences. See, this is how it works when we operate in our emotions. When we we let our emotions get a hold of us and we act out in anger or in some other type of, of emotion... When it's over and that anger settles down, we go back to the way it was. But the aftermath behind us often cannot. And so here we are. We see that uh, Samson's emotions got out of control. And he couldn't understand why they were still upset. Now, this is a self-centered mindset that wounds people around us. It doesn't just affect us. It's usually rooted in bitterness or unforgiveness. And for the most part, most of us don't even realize the way we act while we're acting out. It's just a boom in your face. And then we settle down, and then we like, oh, well, that wasn't a big deal. You know, okay, let's move on. But all of those around us are still in that the waves of, of, of whatever it was that caused you to do that, and we're still reacting and responding to what goes on. There are triggers in a lot of people. And most of us, we have things that set us off. A lot of times it goes back to our childhood or in our past due to things that we have buried, don't even recognize that are there anymore as far as the event. We may not be thinking about that, but when somebody says something a certain way 
or something happens at a certain time, it triggers an emotional response that causes all kinds of damage to those around us. And most of the time, we're either defensive or we're denial when it's brought up to this happened. No, it didn't. That wasn't what happened. That's not how you, well, you just misinterpreted it. Now, why am I able to be so confident about this? It's because I grew up this way. This is part of where I came from. And even to this day, there are triggers. And even to this day, I have to repent and I have to lay that down and say, God, I'm still putting this in your hands. I'm still asking that if I have unforgiveness or bitterness somewhere, I want it gone because if that root is still there, it's going to bring up bitterness, it's going to spring out, and it's going to affect other people. It can take root, and it can cause others to be hurt. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And Hebrews 12.15 says, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and hear this part, and by this, many become defiled. Now, it could be saying two things here. Many meaning those who allow this to happen to them. But I believe it goes beyond that. Many who become defiled are those many that are defiled by the one who let bitterness creep up in them. It never just affects one person. And this is something that the church needs to be aware of. Because we see in the body of Christ, sometimes there's conflict. People have different personalities. I know y'all don't believe that. Everybody gets along so good. Everywhere, all the time. We're believers. We love one another. But if the carpet's the wrong color, somebody could leave the church over it. Because in their anger, they didn't get their way. If this didn't happen this way, or if that didn't happen that way, these things happen among the body of Christ. So we have to be careful that when we come to the Lord and we receive him into our hearts and minds, what this means is that all of these things, this baggage that we have, has got to be given over. Now, again, God is a merciful God. And he's so full of compassion. And he's so full of grace. He will work it out in you. It may take time. It may be some things he does instantly. We've all heard the testimonies. Oh, I accepted the Lord. I was delivered from drugs and alcohol immediately. Never had another drive for it. Never even thought about it again. And others, well, I had this happen. And immediately this was taken away. Don't smoke anymore. Just took that away. Hallelujah. Praise God for those times when God moves that way. But I can tell you that the people that that has happened to, there are still other things that are still there. And they're still in all of us. That's why we're working on our salvation with fear and trembling. It's not that we're trying to get saved again every day. Not that we're working for our salvation. What that passage means is, is that we're really in relationship with Jesus. And he's digging in us as we allow him to, to reveal these things to us. So then once we recognize them, we give them over. But see, the thing is, is in the fleshly nature... The emotional realm is really what controls everybody. It's what I want, when I want it, how I want it, and anything else, it's just not going to happen. People aren't, aren't content. Now, we don't know what caused Samson to develop this pattern, uh, but somewhere along the line he did. Now, I want to mention this too. God was using him in his flaws. We've mentioned this before. He didn't change Samson to use him because he had a plan. 
and his plan was to use Samson in the midst of his anger issues to deal with the Philistines. And you might look at his parents and say, well, you know, Scripture says they were godly people. I mean, you know, the Lord himself came down and spoke to them and said they're going to have a son, told them that he would be a Nazarite, he was not to have his hair cut, he's not to touch anything unclean, nor was his mother to drink any, any wine or anything like that. All of these things were laid out before them, and I can promise you that they poured that into Samson. But think about this for a minute. Your mom and daddy, who might have, maybe you weren't raised in a Christian home, but if you were, you know, bear with me a moment. Your mom and dad told you about the Lord. They told you what the Scripture said about living a godly life. Did you adhere to everything your mom and dad said? No. And at some point, you thought they were crazy. And then later on, the Lord gets a hold of you, and you're quoting things back to them that they told you. And they said, well, we told you that when you kid. Ah, no, you didn't. <laughs> it's like kids growing up don't hear mom and dad, but they'll hear it from somewhere else. And they'll come back and telling you what you've been telling them all their lives. But Samson had an issue. And his issue was, I believe, now again, I'm, I'm painting a picture here. So, so bear with me. I'm kind of filling in some blanks that aren't there. But I believe that Samson probably looked at his mom and dad, and rebelled against it. said, fine, I won't cut my hair. But then he became spoiled because, oh, I'm going to be a man God's going to use anyway. Now, when you start thinking that way, the next thing that happens is, is it becomes about you and your giftings, you and your strength, you and your abilities, and you push God out of it. And this is something that Samson struggled with. We see it in his, in his actions and in the way he speaks. And again, God allowed him to be who he was because God had a plan. And that's God's sovereignty. God moves how God sees fit. So here Samson goes back to his wife. He go, or gets back to his wife's house expecting to go in. But her father had given her to his companion. He said, I thought you hated her. And he acted like he hated her. Stormed out left, went back to his father's house. And her father tried to appease Samson, saying, listen, that's a done deal. She's already been given away, but take her younger sister. Is she not better? But Samson would have nothing except what Samson wanted. And he said, okay, because you've done this, you're not going to blame me. And he arose because he didn't get what he wanted. And, he, and basically his mindset was, if I can't have my way, somebody's going to have to pay for it. And so he went out. And this foxtail trick he did, I'd, again, you know, <laughs> God had to uh, call them foxes together, kind of like when he called them all those animals two by two on the ark. You know, he probably called the fox together and just had them circle around a circle. And Samson did what he did. But he destroyed a tremendous amount of their food supply. He affected their culture big time. And it got their attention. And when they found out who did it, they went and killed his wife. And her father burned them as they threatened to do earlier if she wouldn't tell the riddle. So they followed through on their original threat. They burned them with fire. Again, you would think, okay, this is not a big deal. Why, not, why go after them? Go after Samson. But they went and they did that first. Now I want you to notice this other, this other point here. Every time Samson acts out it causes him and others a lot of pain 
Your sin never just affects you. I alluded to that just a few minutes ago. It never just affects you. It always affects those around you. Now, again, we know God is using all of these things to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And God's sovereignty is fully displayed here. But for us today, and I want us to fast forward to the church today, we're in a new covenant. We now believe in Jesus Christ. We now have the Holy Spirit within us. See, when you notice a lot of these things that took place, the Holy Spirit came upon. In some cases, I think even in Samson's case, he was filled with the Spirit. But it didn't stay. The Spirit didn't stay with him all the time. The Spirit would come, empower him, and after the event, the Spirit would, would go away. We as believers have the Spirit all the time. He dwells within us. So if we have the Holy Spirit within us, there's a different standard to our character that we should be looking at on a daily basis. The behavior of what Samson was doing would not align itself with the relationship with Jesus Christ today. We're shown the difference between walking in the flesh versus walking in the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16, it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. In other words, they can't coexist. They're going to be battling all the time. And this comes back to, as believers, are we choosing the Spirit, or are we choosing the flesh? And it goes on to say, so that you do not do the things that you wish. In verse 18 of Galatians chapter 5, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. We see that on Samson for sure. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who, hear these words, practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, meaning practicing these things does not mean that you fall into something and you repent. There's, that's the fleshly that we have to deal with. But to practice means that you come to a place in your heart and in your mind where you say, God's okay with this. And I'm going to continue acting this way and still claim to be a believer. There has to be a dividing line. There has to be. And God has drawn it. And he said, this is the flesh. You walk in this, this is your fruit. And then he goes on and he talks about the spirit. In verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Now again, this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, the fruit of the Holy Spirit comes forth through the individual who houses the Holy Spirit when that individual is submitted to him. When the individual is not submitted to him, 
You don't receive the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. You receive the opposite. You receive the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. The battle ensues, and you're sitting on the fence. What are you going to do? Which way are you going to go? You know what's behind you, and there's no fruit there worth having. You know what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's available for us. But we have to make that decision. We have to say, I choose you, Lord. I choose the Spirit, not my flesh. And it goes on to say, against there is no law. And it says in, in verse 24, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh. That means you kill it. You have to die to your fleshly nature. All of us have a fleshly nature. We have to die to it along with its passions and desires. See, there are many passionate people who become believers, and they think because they're so passionate, God accepts their passion into a relationship with Him. And a lot of times they call that prophecy. <laughs> people who have a bold, dynamic personality... They become believers if they're not careful and not really listening to the Spirit, studying the Word, walking in relationship. They can allow their passion, not compassion, but their passion and drive of their personality to actually hijack one of the gifts of the Spirit if they're not careful. That's why the gifts of the Spirit are given when we're in relationship with Jesus. And that's why when they're given, they're used by the Spirit for his glory and his honor and only to be for him to be glorified and to edify the church and for the lost. See, that's the whole thing. The gifts of the Spirit are never given for our benefit. They're given for us to minister to others, to edify the church, to encourage the church, and again, to minister to the lost. It goes on here again. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So if we're Christ, and according to Scripture, we're not our own anymore. We've been bought with the price. We now belong to Jesus. We then have to be crucifying our flesh with its passions and desires. And I do say crucifying, meaning the heart is to say it's done. And in the spirit it is. But in the flesh, we still have to continue it every moment every day crucifying that flesh because we are responsible and we're accountable for our actions when we stand before God. Now, I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation when you stand before God if you're a true believer, but what I'm saying is is that if you're standing before God and all of these things you allow to happen, it's going to, it's going to be seen and it's going to be evident. And he's going to bring it out. There's the passage, I believe, in Corinthians. It says that there will be a judgment by fire. And if your works are tested by fire and they stand with gold and pure and all of that, wonderful. But if it's uh, hay and, and sticks and all of that and it burns up, you'll be saved. But your works were not pure before the Lord. I don't want to be that person. I want to stand before the Lord and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So. There's nothing, there's, there'll be no excuse for us at that point. Now, if, if um, the love of Christ, this is an important point, if the love of Christ is not evident in us, 
that we have to ask this question. This is a self-examination question. Y'all love it when I put these out there, don't you? Well, trust me, I put them out there only because I've been asked myself. And it's not an easy one to answer because sometimes you see things you don't want to see. But you have to go into the Lord and you have to be before him and say, do I have religion or do I have Jesus? Do I have religion or do I have Jesus? Religion will not bring the fruit of the Spirit. It will bring condemnation through works, legalism, got to do it this way, got to do it that way. But the freedom of a relationship in Jesus brings the freedom of the Holy Spirit to bring that fruit and give that fruit to us. There's a big difference between religion and relationship. And while many will try to stand before him in their religiosity, they'll have no foundation to stand on. Matthew seven eighteen through 27. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruit you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And, and keep in mind here, this is what Jesus did. He's our example. He came to do the will of the Father. That was his purpose. All the way to the cross, that was the will of the Father. That was Jesus' plan. He came, and everything he did, it's not my will, but your will. I'm only here to glorify the Father. I'm only here to obey, to do what he tells me to do. And that's what we have to look at ourselves and say, okay, we need to be in that same place. And it says in verse 20, therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Again, relationship. We're talking relationship. You can do all these things in religion, and it happens all day long every day. But in relationship, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know anything. Because he is everything. And he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now think about that for a minute. You who practice lawlessness, but I cast out demons. But you're practicing lawlessness. I, I, I gave to the poor. But you're practicing lawlessness. How am I practicing lawlessness? I'm doing these good things. It's because you're doing the good things. You're in your flesh. That is lawlessness. You need to come to walk in the spirit. Not in the flesh. And therefore whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain descends descended the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who's built his house on the sand and the rain descended the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great 
was its fall. This is something that we need to really grab a hold of this morning. And again, getting back to the question, do we, are we religious or do we know Jesus? Are we in relationship? Because that's, what it's, that's the only thing that matters. Now back to our text here. Samson now takes revenge out of his emotional anger against the Philistines for killing his wife and her father. And now they send those down to encamp there against the river and they're going to take him. They want to they bring him into captivity. So let's pick up at verse 10. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? So they answered, we've, we've come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he's done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Atom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you've done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I've done to them. But they said to him, We've come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. And then Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand. But we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. And then Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've slain a thousand men. And so it was, when he had finished speaking, that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place, place Ramath-Lehi. Then he came very thirsty. So he cried out to the Lord and said, You've given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, me. And now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow places in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank. And his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore he called this name Anhakorah, which is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel twenty years in the days of the Philistines. Now, let's take this and break this whole passage down a little bit. Notice that when the men of Israel saw the Philistines gather, they, they, they were afraid. It's like, whoa, what did Samson do? He's done got us in trouble with the Philistines. Don't you know they rule over us, Samson? What are you doing? And notice they said, what are you doing to us? They didn't want any problems with the Philistines. They had kind of gotten comfortable in captivity. And here they are. So what do they do? They send 3,000 men <laughs> from Judah to go arrest him. See, rather than recognizing that God was doing something, they took it upon themselves to say, no, we don't want anything done. Don't do anything because right now the Philistines aren't coming and pillaging. They're kind of in their place. They rule over us. We just submit to them. We pay them whatever we have to pay them taxes or whatever they want from us. But they're not coming in here with their army every other day. So let's let status quo be what it is. They went to Samson, arrested him, and turned him over to the enemy. And we don't see any reference to them praying. 
Where were the priests? Where were the men of God seeking God in this case? God, are you up to something? Are you doing something here? No one was praying and asking for God for direction. They just got afraid. They didn't want trouble. They went after Samson. They just wanted him to be quiet, to settle down. They wanted to keep the peace. Don't rock the boat. And we see this with the leaders of Israel when Jesus came. They too were in captivity to Rome. And they were comfortable. They had their priesthood duties. They had their synagogues. They had all the money coming in from all the people. Every time that people would come around, they were doing all the religious things. They were allowed to by the Romans to the point where they didn't even recognize they were in captivity anymore. When Jesus confronted them and, and, and about being captive, they said, we've been in captivity by no one. Really? Currently, Rome is ruling over you. Do you remember Egypt for 400 years? What about Babylon? They blinded themselves to the reality of their situation. They didn't want to see it. And things weren't that bad. And I've said this before, and this is something you need to grab a hold of. When God moves, he moves you out of your comfortable zone. And when he moves you out of your comfortable place, many times he doesn't tell you where he's moving you to. He didn't tell Abraham where he was going. He said, pack up and go. Now, if you're a believer and God tells you to do something, but he doesn't tell you exactly how he's going to work it out and exactly what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, and if he's not giving you all those specifics, sometimes it's easier to stay in your comfortable place in captivity than it is to go outside of that place in faith. Because we want to know all the answers. We want to know what, what this means. What does that mean? That's not what God calls us to live. He, not how he calls us to live. We're called to live by faith. And by faith means you put one foot in front of the other when God says go. It means to stop when he says stop. It means to listen. It means to be obedient. And that doesn't align with what we want. It's uncomfortable. And we're a comfortable society today. The poorest of the poor have more than many around the world. Many of the homeless today have cell phones and laptop computers in their homeless camps. I've been. I've visited them. And they have, you know, now I won't say luxury by any means. I mean, they're living in tents. They're living in camps. And it's a hard life. But they still have access to certain things that's unheard of around the world. And often, I'm not saying all, but often, many of those who you go to minister to in those situations don't want to leave. They don't want to go. I've, I've talked to several on the street over the years, and I've talked about the homeless shelter here. Now, I will be honest with you. The homeless shelter here in Cartersville is not set up for the homeless person on the street. It's set up for those who have fallen into a hard time of homelessness, a sudden situation. And if you qualify, meaning no drugs, no alcohol, and they have a bed... You can come into the shelter, stay up to 12 weeks. You've got to be looking for a job every single day. You've got to be able to work, physically able to work and willing. Get all these job applications. And if you get a job, they extend that stay. They help you with your finances, and they help you transition back out of the shelter into another living situation. And that's a great program. I don't criticize what they do. 
The only issue I have with that program is that it doesn't it, it's it's hard and dry. You don't you, it doesn't minister to the average person who's on the street. And in some cases, they choose to be on the street again, not always, but they get comfortable there, too. And I've talked to some of them that say, oh, there are too many rules over there. There are too many rules. They don't want rules. They don't want regulations. They want to be in their comfort zone doing it their way. And again, I'm not putting everybody into the same basket. But this is my point, is when, when you get into this place, you can find yourself in a very, very bad place, but you really don't want to move out of it because you've learned to be comfortable there. And this is what was going on with, with Jesus in his day. They wanted a different Messiah than the one God provided. They wanted one coming in with a sword by himself driving Rome out. They wanted one that was going to pat them on the back for what a great job they did and all their religious activities. And here Jesus comes along, and he upsets the apple cart, turns it over, and they don't know what to do. And so they want him out, just like they wanted. Judah went after uh, Samson. we got to get rid of him. This guy's messing everything up. They didn't see God moving. And Jesus became a thorn to them, Samson, now has become a thorn to Israel, even though God was using him. Now, today, we have to be careful that we don't fall into that same trap. And many Christians expect God to move in a certain way or even more, more directly their way. When you're in a situation and you're praying, here's how you want it solved. God, I, I can't make this month's rent. I can't make it. We don't have the money to pay the rent. So you go to the mailbox expecting to be a check. Well, there's not a check. Well, then you get upset with God because he didn't give you the money to pay the rent. But you need to wait on God to let him take care of that situation the way he sees fit. Now, personal testimony, we've been in that spot years and years ago. We didn't have the money to pay the bills. We didn't have the funds to do what needed to be done. If you put on paper what went out versus what came in, we were in the homeless shelter. But God never, ever abandoned us. There was a t couple of times a check was in the mailbox, which we didn't expect. There were other times where people showed up with groceries. When Y2K happened, everybody stockpiled. Well, when the lights didn't go out, they had all this extra food. A lot of people brought us some of that food. because We didn't have the money for the groceries at the time. And we were in a bad spot. But, you know, I'll tell you this, and I'm, this is not a push for tithing, so don't, don't, don't think I'm beat, beating you up. But we tithed on what I did make, on the gross, every single day, every single paycheck. We, we tithed on that money, and God was faithful. Did he pour in an abundance of extra money? No. But we never went hungry. Didn't lose the house. We had a car, sometimes not a good one, but we had a car. We had what we needed when we needed it. And that's how God moved. Now, it would have been easy for me, and I'm, I can't honestly say sometimes I wasn't frustrated and even a little bit angry with God because I didn't like being in that circumstance. I wanted to be comfortable like my neighbors were. Of course, I didn't know what was going on behind their doors. And people will lie to you real quick and tell you how good they're doing. And they barely got the money to keep their lights on. But they got a nice car, a nice house. But you learn to walk in faith and you have to learn to trust God to do the way he's going to do and be okay with it. 
Really, just be okay with it. Say, God, I don't want to look at the, the rest of the world. I don't even want to look at the rest of the church. I don't want to look at what you're doing in their life and in their life and their life. I want you to be glorified in what you're doing there. But I don't want to expect that for me. I want to expect from you what you have for me that's going to be best for me and is going to glorify you. That's what it should be about in our relationships. And today, again, if God doesn't move in a certain way, we get kind of frustrated. Some people right now in this nation are really expecting a mass revival. That God is going to pour out His Spirit on mass revival and the whole country is going to get saved and we're going to kick out all these liberal people and everything's going to be fine. Well, I don't see that necessarily happening. I'm not saying He can't. And hallelujah if He does. But honestly, because they've kind of crossed over their national patriotism with their faith, they brought it all into one bundle that God's got to fix this country because this is God's country. We gave up on God a long time ago. We ran him out. So who can expect that? But this again, if, and, and this is how many people pray. There's that expectation. Maybe a just miraculous change in the government. That just they all get saved. Hallelujah. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that happened? But the point I'm making here. Is, is, is what if God is doing something different? Are we going to be okay with that? What if God wants to bring this country down to its knees because of its rebellion? What if God wants to bring those consequences of our actions over the last 50, 60, 100 years right now? And here's the thing. I can guarantee you there's many in the church that says, well, God's going to come for the church before that happens. God's going to take us out or God's going to deal with it. He's going to return and, and, and take over before all that happens. Really? I don't read that in Scripture. What I read in Scripture is he raises up nations and he brings them down. And he brings judgment and consequences on those who are not following him. Does he use them? He used this country mightily around the world. But does that mean now he's going to continue to do so? This is all in his hands. So we have to be careful that we don't come to this place where we're expecting God to do something and then we get mad when he doesn't do it. What again, if the church, I mean, the church couldn't even fathom the fact that 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 this country may implode. Well, let me give you a hint. It's already imploding. And it's just hanging by a hinge right now. And just as the leaders of Israel miss God right in their presence, we too are in danger of missing God. If we'd expect to see him in this pretty little box that we've made for him to sit in. He don't fit in our box. He will never fit into our box. And we need to get into his. Because the way I read it and the way scripture tells us. God created us in his image. We don't create him in ours. And we need to walk that out in this relationship. So let him have ears to hear. Hear these warnings. So now 3,000 men of Judah come down to arrest Samson. And after giving their word they wouldn't kill him, Samson allows them to tie him up with two new ropes. Now, we know they didn't just tie his hands. That we, they did tie his hands, but it also it says in our text that, um, that when the Spirit of the Lord came mightily, the ropes around his arms became like flax, and the bonds broke loose from his hands. So they, either they had him this way or they had him tied up on arms this way. Whatever it was, they had him tied up pretty good because I'm thinking they were pretty afraid of him too. 
And so they, they thought, okay, this is good, and we're doing it. We're going to settle down the Philistines. Everything is going to go back to normal. And so they tied him up. And we need to realize that while his uncut hair was a key to his receiving strength, it was the Spirit of the Lord that gave him the strength when he needed it. Very important point. I don't think Samson went around that strong all the time. But he went around as strong as he needed to be when the Spirit of the Lord came, gave him that power. Now, on a side note, it's the same for us today with the gifts of the Spirit. They're available to us when we abide in Christ, but it's the Holy Spirit that gives as he wills. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, there are diversities of gifts, but of the same Spirit. There's differences of ministries, but the same Lord, and there are diversity of activities. But it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Not me, all. For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, another discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Church, we need to grab a hold of that more than anything else because there's a big run on the gifts of the Spirit in certain groups that just want the gifts, want the gifts, want the gifts. And they, that's all they focus on. And then they get a gift and they run around acting like it's theirs. It's not. If you have a gift of the Spirit, it's given by God for His glory and for Him to use it to benefit others. And Hebrews 2, 4 says, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Spirit according to His own will. So let's give it to Him and let Him give it to us as He sees fit. It will be balanced. It will be right. And that's the purpose of the gifts. So let's not lose sight that our gifts and our strengths are all given to us by God. And we should never hijack them for ourselves, thinking that we're something because we have them. And I've kind of covered this next section already, so I'm not going to, to, to Norman, I'm skipping over part of these notes. But finishing up the study this morning, after the ropes are broken off, he picks up a jawbone of a donkey. Now, again, think about this. Another disobedient act regarding touching anything unclean. It was a fresh jawbone of a dead animal. <laughs> you weren't supposed to do that, but it's just this Samson. <laughs> and he goes out and kills a thousand men. And rather than giving God the glory, he writes his little poem. Maybe you can even put a tune to it. Giving him the credit, you know, your servant has done this. And in verse 18, after all this is done, listen, listen to his attitude, the way it's worded here. Now, again, we don't hear him speaking, but I can almost hear these inflections. Then he became very thirsty. So he cried out to the Lord and said, you've given this great deliverance by me, the hand of your servant. 
And now shall I die of thirst and fall in the hand of the uncircumcised? He didn't say you delivered us by your hand. You delivered them by my hand. In other words, he's still putting himself as a key player here. And instead of just asking for water, Oh, Father, I'm so thirsty. Thank you for giving me this, the, the, this, this victory. I, I'm, I'm really thirsty. Is, did you, can you give me some water? Please provide water. No, he doesn't say that. He says, now shall I die of thirst and fall in the hand of the uncircumcised. It's almost if he's saying, God, I did my part, but you're letting me down for not already having a pool of water here after that big job I just did. And this is the attitude that he continued to have over and over. His pride and his arrogance was tolerated by God for the season. It was tolerated because God had a bigger plan. And God chose to use him in the midst of his own flaws. But God's bigger plan was to deliver Israel from the Philistines. But as we'll see, his sin of pride will catch up to him. God does not wink at sin. He doesn't. You may think you're getting away with something, but he doesn't wink at it. He never winks at sin. He never disregards it. There's always something that has to pay the price for it. He doesn't wink at our sin today. He sent his only son to pay the price for it. That's a big price that was paid. Many don't really equate the, the, the payment that was made for our behalf. It's like, thank you for dying for my sin, Lord. But do you really realize what God did when he sent Jesus? I mean, he took upon himself our sin. That cost God the Father dearly to send the son to walk in obedience to the cross so sin is dealt with for those who believe it's dealt with here and now and it's over with for those who don't believe judgment is coming there's a season of grace we are now walking in this season of grace and you may look around and say but god look at this country look at this world how can these leaders stand up and open their mouths and the lies and deceit that they speak and they're not being punished listen we're in the season of grace and even the president of the united states is under that grace right now he may not acknowledge it but he is and if he takes his last breath without knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, he will be judged for his actions and his sin, just as we all are. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much power you have. I don't care your position or where you came from. If you don't know Jesus, your sin right now is still active and your punishment is still awaiting. Only God, through Jesus Christ, can change that. And this is where we have to grab a hold of. The price has been paid. There was never a point where God said, eh, it's okay. I'm not going to worry about that one. I mean, think about it. David deserved death with his sin with Bathsheba and then having Uriah murdered on the front line. David himself spoke those words before he knew it was him he was talking about. That man should die. Well, you're that man. God did not require death of David, but he required death of their firstborn. Blood had to be shed. Sin has to be dealt with. And we're in this place today where we have to realize that while we're, we're on a timeline, God is not. Well, God is on a timeline that he created. 
but he's not bound by it. God is never bound by time. He just is. That within itself is just a, a, a thought that our finite mind just have to struggle with grabbing a hold of. Never created. He, he just is. I am that I am. I was that I was. I will be that I will be. It is. It, it, he, he is. There's no creation of God. So in that, we're bound by time. But God has the whole picture. He knows when these judgments are coming. He knows when things are going to be dealt with. He knows how they're going to be dealt with. And we as believers have got to come to the point, particularly in this upside-down world we live in, to where we're okay with God doing it His way, because if we're not, we're going to be in a whole lot of turmoil trying to fix things He don't want to fix. There are times when we're praying against God's will, but we're praying for good things. Now, that's a hard one to swallow, isn't it? Oh, but we need to pray for this. We need to pray that. We need, what we need to do is say, Lord, your will be done. And think about it, what the Word says. If you delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. If He gives you the desires of your heart, your prayers are going to be in alignment with His will. So what's the key to prayer? Being in relationship with Jesus. Being in His Word. Being faithful. Walking it out. Not letting our fleshly nature rise up and say, but God, that's the wrong way. I don't like to use this certain references, but that old movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, the clean version when they put it on TV, they're driving down the rain the wrong way, <laughs> down the interstate. Cars coming the other way saying, you're going the wrong way. How do they know where we're going? The point I'm making here is you don't come to God and say you're going the wrong way. When God is going, he's going the right way, and we need to be in line with him. We need to be going his way, because our way will lead to the wrong way, and it will lead to death. Judgment always comes, and I praise God that he sent Jesus the way, the truth, and the life. He sent him so that we have now escaped this coming judgment. Does that mean that we're not going to be persecuted? No. See, here's another thing we need to grab a hold of. Right now, the world is under Satan's persecution. The hand of Satan is against the church. The hand of Satan's against everybody. He manipulates the world to think he's for them, but he's not for anybody. And so the whole world is, is being deceived. But he's coming against the church. So what we're facing today, laws that are being passed, the things that are coming are going to come against the church of Jesus Christ, not of Latter-day Saints, but the true church of Jesus Christ. When, 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 he is, when God's going to allow this to happen, the church is going to face persecution. It already is. Churches around the world are facing death for their faith. We've never had that here, not as a, as a, as a general rule. But with the laws that are being passed, Christians are going to go to jail for saying what I'm saying this morning. And we have to be prepared for those things that are coming. That's Satan's hand. But in the great tribulation period, that's God's hand. He is pouring out his wrath. Now, he's using the Antichrist. He's using Satan. He's using all the evil. But he's pouring out his wrath upon the world, the unbelievers, 
And that's why I don't believe the church will be here. Now, that's, again, diverse opinions on that. I'll let you sit where you want to sit on it. It's not, that's not the message this morning. My point is this, though, is that we have to be able to understand that we will go through persecution as believers. That's not the great tribulation, but it is tribulation. It is persecution. And we need to be prepared. Change is coming. I've given you the warnings. Not just me. It's going around. I mean, these messages are coming from everywhere. I'm hearing people are sending me videos. I'm seeing all kinds of things. People are saying the same things. They're calling out the, the nation. They're calling out the leadership. This is not just me. This is what's happening around the world. The church is awakening. But the full buildings are not always the church. And so we need to be prepared. We need to be awake. And we need to be seeking him. His, he's coming. And he's going to bring the judgment. That many times we wish would happen now. He's bringing. But always remember this. If it worked that way. Where we could just pray judgment on all those unbelievers. Who are bringing havoc in the world. What if he had done that before you received him? Which group would you have fallen in? We need Jesus. The world needs Jesus. The whole world won't receive him. But we're still here because some will. Let's be awake. Let's be alert. Let's don't be like Samson. God did use him. But it's, again, I'm, when we get into the next week's message, you're going to see that his pride brought him down. And his not faith and not walking with Jesus, or, or the Lord, not Jesus at the time, not walking with God, not adhering to what he was taught from a child growing up. It cost him. Are we religious? Or do we have Jesus? It's a question we all have to ask.